Welcome everybody from around the world. I'm Father Chris Alar, and I'm one of the Marian priests of the Immaculate Conception here from the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. We are in Stockbridge, Massachusetts right now. It's May 1st and it's 39 degrees, so it feels more like March 1st, but uh, May is the month of Our Lady. So you can see we already have the beautiful flowers here in the sanctuary. And what a great way to begin today with the Feast of St. Joseph, which join us at three o'clock later today as we do our first Saturday's devotion and our consecration to St. Joseph. But today, as you saw on the title slide, we are going to be talking about heaven. What is heaven like? And we know this from scripture, the Bible, and revelation, and sacred tradition, apostolic tradition, not man-made. So please join us as we continue to teach you what the church teaches heaven is like. Let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to give us the grace that gives us a foretaste of heaven so that we may one day enter into it with you to share in the divine life for all eternity. And we ask all this through the intercession of our Mother Mary, all the angels and saints, and through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, welcome. We're glad you're with us. So today, it is all about heaven, what you need to know, some things that you may not, but you know, we're going to start the Baltimore Catechism states that we're meant for heaven. We're meant to be saved. It's the reason God created us to know him, love him, serve him, be happy with him forever and ever, heaven forever. But I want to show our first slide here because the church does tell us what heaven will be like. And this is the catechism and apostolic tradition. It says... The church says, those who die in God's grace and friendship and are perfectly purified, whether in this life or in the next life in purgatory, live forever with Christ. They are like God forever, for they see him as he is face to face. This is amazing. So what does it mean to see God face to face? Because, you know, other places in the Bible, it says no man has seen God's face. Well, how do we explain this? You know, it's interesting because Revelation 22 verse 4 says we will see the face of God. So it seems like it's telling us something that's going to happen and we will. Now, Tim Staples, a good apologist that you can trust his work, good Catholic, says this doesn't mean that we will see God with our physical eyes. He's pure spirit. Okay. Matthew 18.10 says that the angels behold the face of God. Yet the angels don't have eyeballs. So how do we explain this? Well, okay. The saints see God face to face or the divine essence with, as I said yesterday in my homily, I'm just going to kind of re recap some of that from yesterday with an intuited intellectual vision, not necessarily with your eyeballs, but with your heart, with your mind, your soul. All right. So this is what, let's look at our next slide. This is what was meant 
when we said beatific vision. This is what we call the beatific vision. All right. Seeing God as he once, as he is, once we behold him in heaven. <clears throat> That's the gift of the beatific vision. This is what we mean. Now, the angels... What about this? Okay, I did another talk in the past on spiritual warfare about the fallen angels. A common question I got is, Father, how did the angels fall when they were already in heaven? There's no sin in heaven. How did they be disobedient and rebel? They were in heaven. Okay, tradition tells us, and this is apostolic tradition, not man-made tradition, small t or large t, but what this is, is that the angels, like man, faced a period of probation. They had not fully yet beheld the beatific vision. If they had fully beheld the beatific vision, no, there wouldn't have been a rebellion. But they weren't there yet. Like man, like Adam and Eve, we were created, weren't we? We were created, Adam and Eve, but they still had a probation period and a testing. And they fell. And so they fell because they did not yet behold the beatific vision. Now, once God's plan of salvation works out, we will, those destined for heaven, behold the beatific vision. Then there will be no rebellion. There'll be no sin. So the beatific vision isn't just people looking at God and staring at him for billions of years. Some people think that. And then looking away from him. And then, oh, wait a minute, I got to look back on God. No, this isn't it. We are alive in him. That's the beatific vision. So the church teaches heaven. Is it a place? Heaven is primarily a state of being rather than a physical place. Now, however... I got to clarify that because heaven can also be said in a way to be a place in a qualified sense in so much as in the end of time, we will get our bodies back. And those are physical. Uh, Jesus has his body. Mary has her body. We will get our bodies in the general judgment, right? And they can be said to have location in a sense, but it's looked upon as not in this same way we do here. It's going to be different, maybe another dimension. So heaven is actually in the heart, scripture tells us. Heaven is in the heart. It begins here on earth. Father, this is hardly heaven. Well, yes, it is when you receive the Eucharist, when you attend mass, you're at your heaven and earth are united. Pope Benedict told us in Spirit of the Liturgy, when you're at Mass, the roof of the church opens up and heaven and earth are united. The angels ascend and descend. And then it's all fulfilled when you enter into the beatific vision of heaven. So this Mass is a foretaste, heaven on earth. So that, yeah, it's not heaven on earth when you see the famines and the poverty and the murders. But that's why we have to pray. Because the mass is where we do enter into heaven. It's a foretaste once we get through this valley of tears. All right. Let's look at our next slide. I want to bring something up here that's very interesting. Tim Staples had a great comment. And he said this. Let's look at our next slide. The blessed will be in a state of contemplation of God 
that is constant. Heaven is principally a state of absolute fulfillment. In the possession of God and the beatific vision, the blessed will experience what cannot be put into words, a radical union with God that transcends anything we could envisage. And, next slide, and it is precisely because of that radical union with God in Christ, the blessed will also experience a union with the other members of the body of Christ that transcends our ability to imagine as well. Well, wait a minute, Father, the dead can't talk to us. They can't see us. They can't help us. We can't pray to them. Yes, we're going to talk about that. This is powerful stuff. All right. You know, another thing, some people say all the time, Father, I will never be happy in heaven unless my children are there, for instance. And as I said in the homily yesterday, that's a valid question. All right. In fact, our next slide shows that. This is the answer to that. Revelation, let's look at our next slide. Revelation 21.4 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away what's he talking about heaven now wait a minute so what about those people who are saying if my children for instance aren't there or maybe my parents or my brothers and sisters whatever it might be if, I, if they're not there, I'm not going to be happy, and I'm not, I don't want to go there. All right? Since missing our loved ones, we just read that there'll be no mourning, no misery, no pain. And since our missing our loved ones would fall under the category of pain and mourning, which Jesus just said will be, or Revelation just said will be wiped away, that God wipes it away, that means you won't be mourning in that sense. All right. Our focus then should be on bringing our loved ones to Christ and making sure we do get them there rather than worrying about being unhappy if they're not there. Don't focus on that. Focus now while you can on getting them there, praying for them. So we do this. We do this so that they will be there rather than worrying about being unhappy if they aren't. All right, now, let's go to our next slide. This is Peter Kreft. Peter Kreft, I also mentioned briefly yesterday, is a Boston College philosophy professor who I was in contact with. He endorsed uh, Brother Jason in my book, uh, After Suicide. And this is an amazing man, one of the great, great men um, and philosophers. And I want to steal from him, if I may, uh, some of his writings that I think summarize heaven great. And this is going to be just a recap of what I mentioned in the homily yesterday. So maybe a good recap. I'm going to add a few things. But basically, this is what I wanted to mention that he writes about that I think is great. Now, he starts with a series of questions. And one of the first ones I like he asks is, is there sorrow in heaven? We just talked about this. If my children aren't there, I'm going to be sorrowful. All right. What does he say? Scripture says God will wipe away every tear and there'll be no death, sorrow, crying, pain. We just read that. Revelation 24. And the former things will be passed away. 21.4. Yet, Mary 
shows sorrow. At La Salette, we call her the sorrowful heart of Mary. Wait a minute, she's in heaven. How could she be sorrowful? This is because the more you love, the more you will suffer. But wait a minute, Father, if God and those in heaven can't suffer, it just said in Revelation, there'll be no suffering, pain, or mourning. How can this be? And if you say love and suffering are connected, and they certainly love in heaven, then they must suffer. And you just said Mary has a sorrowful heart, so she must be suffering. All right. God is not hurt, and Mary too, for that matter, is not hurt by the fact that we have hurt them, but that we have hurt ourselves. It's like a good parent. I use the example of, of a drug. If the parent son or daughter is hooked on drugs and they're destroying themselves, the parent's going to be sorrowful, hurting. And the other example was, well, wait a minute, are we going to be sorrowful if we learn at the general judgment that some of the souls we knew are in hell? Now that does seem like a good question, but surprisingly, the answer is no, you won't be. Oh my father, how's that? That's not possible. Yes, because you're, we will be fully illumined that they got what they chose. They got what they wanted. They would be miserable in heaven. That seems crazy, doesn't it? But remember, I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. And some follow that path. That's why we have to pray for them now. All right. Now, next question Peter Kraft asked, will we know everything in heaven? And he makes a good emphatic point. No, heaven isn't us being divine. Only God is divine, which is infinite. We will remain human, which is finite. Only God is divine and infinite. We are human and finite and we'll stay that way. We will share in his divine life in, in a way we do that now at mass. But we will not know everything. It's probably a good thing because if you're not omnipotent, all powerful like God, it probably isn't good to be also omniscient, meaning all knowing. Because that would be more like hell on earth, Peter Kraft says. All right. So we will be more like children in heaven, knowing what we don't know. Remember in a, when you were a child, you knew that you didn't know how to drive a car. When you were a child, you knew that you didn't know how to work uh, in a professional job like your parents did. You knew you didn't do that. You knew you had a lot to learn. That's the same in heaven. We'll be like those children knowing what we fully don't know. That's humility, knowing the truth. All right. He, he mentioned, and I mentioned this yesterday. He said, will we all be equal? He says, no, no, we will in dignity, but not in, in, in the sense that we're exactly the same. And in essence, maybe not even dignity because there are levels of heaven and we will attain based on our holiness and our receptiveness to God's grace. So this is a new form of pride in the world. This is communism. That, that nobody can be better than me. We have to make everybody equal now because we're going to offend them. 
We can't have, we can't even give trophies anymore in sports. You know, when I was a kid in, in baseball, when I was in, 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 uh, in Little League Baseball, this is the honest truth. The parent each week at the baseball game was to bring a bunch of goodies for the team. I was like in second grade, third grade. And the, the parent each week was a different parent was to bring some goodies for the whole team if they won. So they bring, you know, maybe uh, ice cream bars or, or sodas or whatever it would be. And the coaches made it clear that if we won, we got those treats. But if we lost, the parent took them back home. Now, do you really think that that is so absolutely horrible? Actually, I look back on it and I say, it really taught me a lesson. It was not a crime. It taught me a good lesson that I have to strive to do my best. This thing of everybody gets the same award is, is socialism. It doesn't provide any personal incentive. And so I think this is powerful. So anyway, um, <clears throat> here's the thing. In heaven, we will maintain uniqueness. We need heroes. And in heaven, we'll have them. There's levels of heaven. You know, you will do something better than any other soul for all eternity. You may not even know it right now, but you have been given a unique aspect of your life, your soul that is different than anybody else. You will do something better in heaven than anybody else who has ever lived for all eternity. Maybe it's adoring a certain attribute of God, whatever it might be, but you will have a uniqueness that no other soul in human history will match. And God has given that to you. This striving to wipe out all uniqueness is of Satan. Justice they say, is what it's about. No, justice doesn't mean equality. It doesn't mean sameness. Justice means giving someone their due. <clears throat> so it is just, excuse me. <clears throat> so it is just that I worship God, as I said the other day, more than a sports athlete. It's, and people say, well, no, no, this shouldn't be that way. Um, it is just to treat a pig like a man was the example Peter used, Peter Kreft. Well, then he said, well, if a pig is going to be treated like a man, then it's also just that a man is treated like a pig. And that's not just. This is to treat differently in one aspect, but dignity is equal in another. In the body, as I said before, Peter Kreft says, the kidney doesn't rebel against the eyeball because the kidney can't see. No, the kidney has a different function. The kidney filters the urine. The eyeball does not, but the kidney doesn't see. The eyeball does. This is fascinating. All right. What about those in heaven? Speaking of eyeballs, do they see us? Do they see us now? The scripture tells us, yes, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living for all are alive in him. This is the Bible. The communion of saints through the body of Christ are all linked and Jesus connects them heaven and earth. Why? Because he can. He's God from heaven, man who lived on earth. 
He is in heaven and still on earth. Well, wait a minute. No, Father, he left. Yes, but what did he say? I will remain with you to the end of time. How is that possible when he ascended to the Father? Because he left us the Eucharist. He will remain with us. We don't worship an absent Christ. He's with us. All right, now let's go to our next slide. This one's kind of interesting. Ghosts. Are ghosts from heaven? And I'm finishing just my little summary from my homily yesterday. Are there ghosts? Well, yes, there are spirits that could come to us from heaven, hell, or purgatory. Hell's not been sealed yet. So the demons can wander this earth. At the end of time, hell will be sealed. Satan and all the demons will be thrown into it. It will be sealed forever. Then they can't get out. Right now, they can roam. The evil one is roaming around the world looking for souls to devour like a prowling lion. Now, these souls or spirits can be from heaven, hell, or purgatory. Now, we are not to conjure up spirits. We are not to conjure up spirits because this can bring evil. We know this. However, that's only because of the fear of the evil one. Ghosts, as I said, can be from heaven, hell, or purgatory. That's why we stick to the saints. That's why we can pray to the saints. Pray doesn't mean to worship. Pray means to ask. We can ask and communicate with the saints. Why? Because we have no fear that they're of evil. That's why we have saints. We know that they are good spirits. We know who they are. So they come from heaven. Now, that brings up another question Peter Kreeft asked. Well, what will we possess in heaven? Will we have things? What will we have? And he said, nothing and everything. We must detach in order to enter heaven. We must learn to die before we die. What does that mean? Detaching. Giving up those things that we're holding on to. If you ever want to know if something's sinful, ask yourself, can I live without it? You know, I, I mentioned that when I was uh, in North Carolina, I had a home on the lake and uh, uh, a fiance or beautiful girl I was planning to marry and, and a business and a lot of money and cars, boats. Now I have nothing, but I've never been happier. That's how heaven will be. You'll have nothing possessed, but you'll be happier than ever because you'll have God. All right. Learning detachment from the world is important. The world can be possessed, so we must detach of it. Is our training for learning to be detached from the desire to possess in heaven because heaven cannot be possessed. So it takes us out of that desire to possess things because in heaven we can't possess things. Very important. I said this yesterday. You know, the C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, was asked if he thought he would possess any of his beloved library books in heaven. And C.S. Lewis said, only those that I gave away on earth. Isn't that powerful? All right, so our next slide. Here we see, what color do we look at here? White. Asked Peter Kraft said, will we wear clothes in heaven? And he explained that the clothing of heaven is described in scripture as white garments. Look at the souls there. White is the color of light which we will each shine with as much as we reflected the light of Christ on earth. So the more we were Christ-like, the more we will reflect, reflect bright light in heaven. And that is symbolized by white garment. Why do you think wedding garments, wedding gowns of women are white, the purity, the chrism or the, the, the baptismal gowns of babies are white? 
So our heavenly clothes express, can express to our earthly story. He pointed out that things like Socrates may have a philosopher's robe or heroes may wear the garment that they were, you know, George Washington might have, you know, his presidential um, garb on. This is awesome. He even said Jesus may wear a crown of thorns, but now those thorns might be diamonds. All right. <clears throat> and then I finished yesterday with a couple last things. One, will there be our animals? Will our animals be in heaven? Everybody wants to know this question. And I pointed out that Aquinas says yes. Well, let me rephrase that. Are there animals in heaven? Aquinas says yes, but they're not our particular animals. Because only human beings have rational, immortal souls now, every living thing has a soul. <clears throat> You've heard me say this. Every plant has a soul. Every, um, every animal has a soul. Every human has a soul. It make, it's what gives you life. So if a plant is alive, I haven't killed it yet. It has a soul. But it's not rational and immortal, Thomas Aquinas says. So it will not be resurrected from the dead. But he does say there will be animals in heaven, like the horse that Christ rides and stuff like that. But they just won't be these animals. Now, C.S. Lewis disagrees. C.S. Lewis supposes that animals are saved in their masters as part of their extended family because God brings all creation to himself. <clears throat> in other words, when he saves you, if your pets are part of you, your pets will be saved too. So Peter Kreeft agrees with C.S. Lewis on this. So I think it's very fascinating how you want to look at that. So we can have hope for our animals. Now, next, will we get bored in heaven? These are the last two I mentioned yesterday in the homily. Will we get bored in heaven? Now, it seems like we will. Father, if I'm just going to stare at our Lord for billions of years, it seems like I will get bored. No, because we are with God and God is infinite. We never come to the end of exploring him. He is new every day. Heaven is eternal, and that means that time does not pass. That's the only way boredom comes about. Boredom is a condition of time, or time is a condition of boredom. This isn't going to happen. In heaven, there is no time. There's no past. There's no future. Everything is one present moment. There is no waiting. And so this is powerful. All right, now, that's why we can pray even today for the salvation at the moment of judgment of our loved ones who may have died years ago. This is fascinating. Well, Father, I could pray to get them out of purgatory. No, God is outside of time. Our prayers, because God knows when we were going to make them, even if it was 20 years in the future, can apply those graces to our loved ones, even at the moment of their judgment in the past. Fascinating. All right, and then finally, I finished yesterday with will we have free will to sin? in heaven. Or I don't think I covered this. I didn't yesterday. So this is a new one. We will have, will we have free will to sin in heaven? Good question. God is both free and he is sinless. So when we are perfected and perfectly aligned with the will of God, we will not choose to sin. Even though we have free will, we will have a freedom not to sin. This is interesting. 
Our highest freedom is freedom to be fully ourselves and we are most free when we are obedient to God's will. No, Father, I'm tired of the Catholic Church rules, rules, rules. No, those are God's directive and guidelines to bring you to eternal life. And that will bring about more freedom than anything. You want to know what no freedom is, is, is attachments to addictions or material goods of this earth. That's not freedom. You're enslaved. You're enslaved to addiction, drugs or sex or whatever it might be. Following the will of God is a breaking of that and true freedom. Freedom isn't doing whatever you want to do. That's license. Freedom is doing what you ought to be able to do. So what we ought to do is worship God. So in the United States of America, we have the freedom to worship God. And please don't let that freedom be taken away. All right. So good stuff. Now, let's go on to some new material. The Bible says no one imperfect in love will enter the kingdom of God. They will not enter heaven because God is perfect love. But that doesn't mean that all flawed people will go to hell either. All right, we are all flawed. Often purgatory is needed for us to be cleansed of these defects and attachments. And I did a whole nother talk on purgatory, so I won't do that now. But it is natural for people to be thinking about death right now in the afterlife because of the pandemic. And maybe that's not a bad thing. All right, we lost Father Seraphim and Father Walter Gurgle to the, to the virus. It, it makes us think. But don't focus too much on this. God has called us to love him and our neighbor here on earth. This is why we already are beginning our heaven here on earth. Even though we're in the valley of tears, it's a foreshadowing, especially the mass. We are to live in some ways as though we are already in heaven, at least connected to heaven. All right. The faithful departed, our loved ones who have died, we may think are invisible to us, but they're still connected. We still have a relationship with them. Don't let non-Catholics tell you they're dead and they and they you 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 can't pray for them and, and all that stuff. All right. Let's let's look at how we know this. Let's look at our next slide. What is this a picture of? The transfiguration. And Jesus at the transfiguration stood between Moses and Elijah. He communicated with them, and they had long since died on this earth. They're not dead. I just don't get that argument. What about Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the grave? If Lazarus couldn't hear when he was dead, he was commanded, I tell you, come out. And he got up and he came out. Even after he'd been dead for days. The saints, even the angels, have visited mystics. Given them messages from heaven. Mary at Fatima and other places. So if you want to be close to your departed loved ones, stay in a state of grace. Spend time in prayer. Talk to God. Accept the help God gives you of the angels and the saints. Pray for your faithful departed loved ones. For if they are in purgatory or in heaven, you can help them if they're in purgatory. And they can help you if they're in heaven. It's communication. We can communicate with them through prayer. That is scriptural. Read the book of Revelation. 
It talks about the prayers of the saints going up to the throne of God. In fact, when we are in the state of grace, we are living the life of heaven here on earth. What does state of grace mean? You're not aware of any mortal sin. All right. Heaven is in our heart starting here in this earth because God is dwelling on, in us and with us and he is acting through us. So the more that we are Christ-like on this earth, the more we are prepared and ready to enter into heaven, even the higher levels. There's multiple levels of heaven. We'll talk about this. So we also have the testimony of the saints who have a lot to say about heaven, like St. Faustina. St. Faustina told us a lot about heaven. Love is heaven given us already here on earth in holy communion, and it'll be fulfilled in the beatific vision. You know, St. Faustina said, my mission will come to an end after I die, or will not, I should say. St. Faustina said, my mission will not come to an end when I die. It'll just begin. And in, here's what she said in the diary, number 281. Listen to this. Oh, doubting souls, I will draw aside for you the veils of heaven to convince you of God's goodness so that you will no longer continue to wound with your distrust the sweetest heart of Jesus. God is love and mercy. Did you hear that? Don't wound the heart of Jesus. This is why today, join us at three o'clock. We are be doing the first Saturday's devotion. And then next Friday, we'll do the first Friday devotion. And so today, join us at three o'clock. Brother Ken will be with us. And I, actually, you know what? I think because we have less time this week, I think we're just going to recite the chaplet. I apologize. But we are going to make reparation to the two hearts, just as St. Faustina said. So join us. Now that brings me to my next slide. Let's read what this has to say. This is from Diary 592. St. Faustina. I learned... In the heart of Jesus, again, the heart of Jesus, the sacred heart, that in heaven itself, there is a heaven to which not all, but only chosen souls have access. This is the levels of heaven we've been talking about. Incomprehensible is the happiness in which the soul will be immersed. Oh my God, oh, that I could describe this even in some little degree. Souls are penetrated by his divinity and pass from brightness to brightness. This is the light I was talking about. An unchanging light, but never monotonous. You will not get bored. Always new, though never changing. Oh, Holy Trinity, make yourself known to souls. Diary 592. Isn't that amazing? That's her description of heaven. Now, she continues to talk about it. Let's go to the next slide. This is Diary 777. Today, I was in heaven. Can you even imagine? And I saw its inconceivable beauties and the happiness that awaits us after death. You know, if there wasn't happiness after death, this world would mean nothing. We have something to hope for. She says, I saw how all the creatures give ceaseless praise and glory to God. I saw how great is happiness in God, which spreads to all creatures, making them happy. 
And then all the glory and praise which springs from this happiness returns to its source and they enter into the depths of God, contemplating the inner life of God. Next slide. This source of happiness is unchanging in its essence, but it is always new, gushing forth happiness for all creatures. Now I understand St. Paul who said, eye is not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. All right. That is powerful stuff. Now, I want to put it into even more common terms. I'm going to show you a real quick clip, quick clip from Mother Angelica. And y'all remember her from EWTN. We'll be doing a new EWTN show coming up in the fall from here in Stockbridge, us Marian fathers. So look forward to that. But I wanted to show this clip and I, I left the intro in because I think it's a trip down memory lane. And this is what brought me to my faith. That intro to that clip was that show that she did that really helped bring me back to my faith. So I want to show you a couple minute clip of Mother Angelica talking about what heaven is like. Mother Angelica Live, brought to you from the Eternal Word Television Studios in Birmingham, Alabama. Because we have to have in our mind that I want to go to heaven and I want to be with God. So if it takes pain, if it takes suffering, this man had to go sell everything he had. He had to be poor in spirit. He had to give up everything he liked, everything he loved, everything he was accustomed to, every leisure, all the good food he could have eaten, all the assurance, he had a lot there to take him through. He had to give all of that up. Why? To buy this field. But what was in the field? A pearl. Nobody ever saw. And that not that like heaven, huh? Are we all anxious? You know, there's all kind of books about people who had near death or death experiences. We want to see what happened to them. Well, the same thing happened to all of them. They knew who they were. Suddenly, they, all their sins were before them. And then they knew there was a place they could not go beyond. They had to come back. I'll make a bet that 99% of the things that bothered them before didn't bother them anymore. Why? They saw the field, and they saw the pearl. Suddenly, nothing mattered. Nothing. See, if you don't have in your heart a goal, is the goal of this world? No. Because it passes. Everything passes. 
So isn't that awesome? A trip down the memory lane uh, from 1999. Now, what was Mother talking about there? The scripture passage of the pearl of great price, that here was this guy who had to give up everything, even something that was good, something that he loved, his land, uh, uh, or excuse me, um, to, to his money to get the land, to possess the pearl. And so this is what she was telling us. We might have to give up things, part with our money, part with these things to possess something greater, the pearl of great price. This is what heaven is like. And so that was a great explanation. Now I'm going to continue. Let's go back to Tim Staples again, the good apologist in his work, What is Heaven Like? Anyway, he points out a Cardinal Ratzinger who uh, Pope Benedict XVI, who depicted, he said, you know, we got to be careful. He warned us against depicting heaven as simply an extension of this life, prettied up by a bunch of depictions of eternal picnics and hobbies. Um, you know, it's funny because I think my dad has laughed that his, his idea of heaven will be hunting and fishing uh, the whole time. But, <clears throat> and as good as that is, there's something greater. All right. Uh, because even hunting and fishing, it will get boring after billions of years, right? Again, there's no time and we don't get bored. All right. So each person, what is it? What will happen? Each person, as I said, will see or comprehend God, live in God in this beatific vision, as we explained earlier, in accordance with their own capacity to um, given by God in grace at the moment of death, have they been in a state of grace? All right, this is important. Um, in accordance with their own capacity dictated to them by how much they lived in a state of grace at the moment of death. Now, this state of grace is determined by both a gift of God and the degree to which they cooperated with God's grace in this life. Okay, I gave a talk a few weeks ago I made a video and some people, non-Catholics, jumped all over it. Father, you're talking about works, that that gets you to heaven. No, it doesn't. First of all, I wasn't talking about physical works more than works of love. James 2.24 tells us faith without works is dead. Even Paul says um, faith without works cannot save. He says in uh, Romans 3.28 that faith alone, but he, Martin Luther added the word alone. All right. We must have the grace of God. Yes, that's fully from God. Only God. We can't control that. To be saved, you need grace, but then you got to cooperate with that grace. And you do that through acts of love. That's how you say yes to that grace. So depending on how much you did that on earth is how big your vessel will be in heaven. So everybody will be fully happy in heaven. But think of yourself as a little shot glass or a great big 55 gallon drum. Whichever one you are, both will be filled completely. If you're just a little tiny shot glass and God fills it to the brim, you're happy. If you're a 55 gallon drum, God will fill it to the brim and they will be happy. What determines if you're a tiny thimble or a giant container is how you live to love God's grace and your cooperation with that grace. This is why to be saved, yes, it's from God's grace, but it doesn't end there. Non-Catholics stop there. No, 
we have to cooperate with that grace. Works of love, not works of the law. And people get confused by this. All right. The state of grace is determined by both, as I said, the gift of God and the degree to which we cooperated with that grace. This is an example, perfect example, is Mary, the mother of God. She was given a ton of grace, but she perfectly cooperated, saying yes. All right, this leads us to our next slide. Let's take a look. When we do this, we'll be reunited with our bodies in heaven. People seem to forget. They think we die and just our spirit goes to heaven. Tentatively, that's true. But when the world ends and it's time for the general judgment, Remember, there's two judgments. I gave a talk on this last week. There's two, gen there's two judgments. You have your personal judgment immediately upon death. And then you have the general judgment at the end of the world where you'll, you'll learn everything of God's plan. And then you get your bodies back. Now, these will be the same bodies that you had in this earth. They'll be the same bodies, but our resu resurrected bodies will not die and will be transformed in glory, just like Moses and Elijah on the mountain at the transfiguration, freed from suffering and pain, enabled to do the things that Jesus, only Jesus could do in the Bible after he resurrected. We will shine, as I said, with that light that we reflected the light of Christ. And St. Thomas says this is important. He says, man will rise again without any defect of human nature. We will be glorified because as God founded human nature without any defect, he will now restore it without any defect. In heaven, you will have your body without any defect. So let's look at the next slide because here we summarize it. And we talk about our characteristics of our bodies. All right. I wanted to summarize these. I talked about these the other day, but I think it's great to summarize. This is the characteristics of our resurrected body. We will have identity, meaning we will get our body back. Nobody else's. So look at the first one, identity. It, it, it'll be exactly the same. Second, integrity. This will keep all of our body parts is the same, even our intestines. This is why Jesus could eat, even though food isn't necessary in heaven. It's possible to eat. Third is quality. Our bodies will be youthful. It'll be that perfect age, like 33, the age of Jesus when he died. Because our bodies will conform to Christ's glorified body. Thomas Aquinas said something interesting. He said, human nature has two defects the young and the old. <laughs> he said, first, the first defect is because it has not yet attained its ultimate perfection. It's not fully grown up yet into what it's supposed to be. And that is the defect found in children. The second defect, he said, is in, in the older, elderly, because they've passed their ultimate perfection. They can no longer run and jump or, or things they used to do. This defect is found in the agent. So he said, in heaven, we will have that perfect body, that in-between. It's since it's like that age 33. Now, what about gender? Gender is part of human perfection. So you will keep your gender. As I said a long time ago, sorry, politicians. You want to change the gender? You can't. 
you will be your biological gender that you were born with. Other qualities such as height, hair color, and other such things will be retained because diversity is part of your perfection. All right, let's go to the next one. Impassibility. What is impassibility? We will be immune from death and pain and suffering. That's all a result of sin. What about number five? Subtlety. Our bodies will be free from things that hold them back now. Right now, our body's constrained by space and time. Not later. The body will become perfected and not under the control. It will not control the spirit. The spirit will control the flesh. Just what Jesus said in scripture we need to do. The spirit needs to control the flesh. The problem in this world is the flesh controls our spirit. Next is agility. This is the one that gives freedom of movement. The body will be subject to the soul so it can do anything it wants. It will not be constrained about space and time. It can do whatever it wants. All right. It can move, will itself to go anywhere in the universe. Finally, clarity. What is clarity? The glory of our souls will be visible in our bodies. Again, I keep going back. Your body will shine with the light that you reflected Christ. We will be beautiful and radiant. This is how we will be seen. Not if we're tall or thin, short or fat. It doesn't matter. We will reflect the light. That is what will matter. All right. So good stuff. Let's keep going quickly. If you take, for instance, the Marian apparitions, did Mary appear in her glorified body? Yes, in one sense, but not fully in all her glory. She had to appear in a form that the, the, the visionaries can handle and relate to. If they saw her in her full glorified body, they wouldn't be able to, to see her. It'd be just a bursting light. So she appeared in a way that they could see and relate to. But at any rate, we do catch a glimpse of the glory that awaits us. We talked about the transfiguration. Jesus' face shined like the sun. Matthew 17, 2. This is not only revealing Christ's divinity, but the glory that the humanity is going to be transformed into. You. That was showing the apostles what their humanity will look like once it's transformed by God's divinity. Isn't that incredible? This is what awaits our humanity. We will be glorified and shine. All right, I've talked about this in the past. What about marriage? There's no marriage in heaven. I always laugh. Some people say yes, and other people say, oh man, because <clears throat> the three purposes of marriage on this earth aren't needed in heaven. The one purpose of marriage is to be procreative, open to children, to perpetuate the race after people die. That's not needed in heaven. Nobody dies. Another objective of marriage is unitive, the sexual marital covenant. That's not needed in heaven. You'll be perfectly united to Christ. And third, get your spouse to heaven is not needed in heaven because they're either there or not. And so this is powerful. Now, do we believe, though, that we will be united with family members after this world? Okay, answer yes. Where? The prayers of the rites of our burial in the Catholic Church. They refer to a wait in the day that we are reunited with our deceased through Jesus. 
You know, we just did the tragic uh, funeral for Mark, one of our employees here, who died suddenly. And um, I did the funeral. And the words sank deep at the final commendation. That's part of a funeral. And I read the words from the rite, the burial rite, the rite of Christian burial. And it said, may we comfort one another with our faith until we all meet in Christ and are with you and Mark forever through Christ our Lord. Amen. Rest in peace, Mark. You know, Lazarus and the rich man and Abraham, that parable in Luke 16, they were all able to recognize each other in the next world. Why are we constantly told as Catholics that the saints are dead, buried, they can't hear us? They're more alive than ever. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. Moses and Elijah, we talked about the transfiguration. They recognized each other. This is Matthew 17. And of course, the disciples even recognized Jesus after the resurrection. So that's why we implore the saints. Tradition tells us apostolic tradition, not man-made tradition. Remember, when somebody tells you as a Catholic, stop in the man-made traditions. You need to say back to them, <clears throat> I follow the Catholic Church, which is apostolic tradition given by God to the apostles. And that was given to man. How else is God going to teach us if it's not given to the people who lived right before you and me in a prior generation? So we implore the saints, pray for us. Tradition teaches those in heaven know who we are. We will recognize each other in heaven. But we will not be exactly the same as in this world. We will be glorified. We will be purified from all sin and will be consumed with the presence of the beatific vision. Incredible. All right. Next week, I'm going to address this question in my talk. But I wanted to get a little taste of it. Will there be non-Catholics in heaven? <clears throat> well, the Catholic Church teaches infallibly, outside the church, there is no salvation. But wait a minute, Father, I've heard you say in homilies past that non-Catholics can get to heaven. How do you reconcile that? Join us next week. The Catechism says there is no salvation apart from Christ and his whole one holy Catholic and apostolic church. But those, it goes on to say, that are invincibly ignorant concerning this truth are not fully culpable. However, ignorance doesn't mean because a person is ignorant of the truth that they will automatically be saved. Ignorance is not bliss. It's dangerous. It means that they have the possibility of salvation. All right. Catechism. 846, I'm going to talk about this later in 8 to 848, means that all salvation comes from Christ as the head 
and through his body, which is the church. So when you go through the church, you go through Christ as the mediator. But being part of the church doesn't necessarily mean the four walls of the Catholic church. A pygmy in the rainforest who's never been in a church can still be united, albeit imperfectly. And we're going to talk about all this. So please, I don't want to get into that topic now. Join me next week as we say, is there salvation outside the Catholic church? Now, the answer is there is not. But I am also going to say non-Catholics can be saved. So how do we reconcile that? Join us next week. All right, let's go back to Jimmy Aiken. Um, Jimmy Aiken is also a great Catholic apologist. And I'm going to finish with a few things he said about heaven. And we'll finish up with this today. All right. Now, he pointed out, let's go back to the body. He said, many think that heaven is a place of happiness where souls go and leave their bodies behind forever. We know at the general judgment, remember at death, you get your personal judgment. At the end of time will be the general judgment. You get your bodies back. And while it is true that we leave our bodies right now on this earth, at the general judgment, they will resurrect. We do not leave them forever. And at the end of the world, we'll be united with them. This is what the Apostles' Creed says. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now some in heaven already have their bodies, Jesus and Mary, right? And we will join them. All right, let's look at our next slide. This is kind of interesting. All right, this is common view of what people think heaven is like. All right, clouds and harps, <laughs> right? That they've often depicted the saints in heaven playing harps while sitting on clouds. Is this true? All right, Revelation 5.8 talks about the 24 elders as depicting them playing harps. That's the music, the liturgy of heaven. You know, when you hear the liturgy, the music and the liturgy, it is heaven on earth. Our mass would not be the same without Brother Ken. Brother Ken has added so much to the liturgy, which is heaven on earth. It's the music of heaven. That's why it's really meant to be so reverent and beautiful. And when, when mass doesn't have that, it's not invalid. But when you have that beautiful music that Brother Ken brings to us, you're bringing an element of heaven to the worship of God on earth. It makes it even that much more um, filling, even though it's not invalid without it, it just makes it that much more that we are engaged. Remember, we're body and soul, not just soul. We're both body and soul. And so that beautiful liturgical music adds so much. And so Brother Ken, who's been here every single day, except when he got COVID, has been stepping up and saying, I want to help bring to this aspect of the liturgy, this part of, of heaven. That's, it's beautiful. And so that's what we have. So now Revelation 15.2 has those playing harps who have conquered the beast. So harps, yeah, they're real. Both are playing their harps as part of the heavenly liturgy. But now they're not really supposed to be sitting on clouds. That's really not what, what we do. But if that's not true, then Father, where is heaven? If it's not sitting on clouds, what is it? It's a common, it is very common to picture heaven as being up in the sky, in the clouds, 
but we shouldn't necessarily take that literally. That is some metaphoric expression in the Bible, but it's not totally just metaphoric. There is some truth to it. Heaven can refer both to the sky and the dwelling place of God. Remember, it's outside the created world. So there's some pictures of you see the sky with the birds, then the universe with the comets and the stars, and then beyond that is God, who is heaven. And that kind of makes sense because heaven's not in the created order in, in, in exclusively. It goes beyond it. Yes, it's present in the created order, but it goes beyond it. John Paul II commented, quote, in the context of Revelation, we know that the heaven or happiness in which we will find ourselves is neither an abstraction, meaning it's nothing, just an idea, nor is it a physical place in the clouds. It's something different than both of those. But it's a living personal relationship with the Trinity. Remember the heart? Heaven is in your heart. It is our meeting with the Father which takes place in the risen Christ through the communication of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. We're wrapping up now. We're finishing. And I want to show you the next slide. This is funny. This is what about St. Peter and the pearly gates? All right. We always hear about St. Peter and the pearly gates. Let's look at this 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 uh, cartoon that says, how cats end up with nine lives, all right? And there's a cat at the, at the pearly gate. Peter's opening the gate and he says, come on, make up your mind. Are you going in or not? And the cat is sitting there hesitating, as you all know, if you've had a cat. I'm one of the few guys who loves cats. I really do. I love cats. They're hilarious. Talk about independent. You don't tell them what to do. So here's why a cat has nine lives. All right, let's talk about Peter and the pearly gates. Where does that come from? Matthew 16, 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven and loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Heaven must follow. And Peter established the papacy and the priesthood. This is Peter being leader of the earthly church. Remember, the church is the kingdom of heaven on earth in Jesus's absence. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he said, I will remain with you. How can he do that when he physically left? He's left with us in the Eucharist in the church. It doesn't mean that he will literally be the gatekeeper. That's not what Peter means. But it's understandable to think of it that way. Because Christ said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. So this is where Revelation 21, 21 is important. It says, quote, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates was made of a single giant pearl. That's amazing. What's pearly about them is that each gate is set in a single gigantic pearl. Beautiful to think about, isn't it? All right, now once we get in those doors... You know, it's kind of funny because you remember that joke, a seventh grader told me this one. And he said, uh, Father, did you hear that Jesus went up to Peter and because he had been walking around heaven and he started seeing a bunch of people that weren't supposed to be there. And Jesus is kind of looking around saying, wait a minute, how did that guy get in here? And he's walking through the halls of heaven and he sees another soul that's not supposed to be there. And he's like, how did he get in here? So Jesus goes out to Peter 
at the front gates and he says, Peter, what's going on? Are you doing your job? You're only supposed to let the souls in here that are chosen. You're not supposed to let everyone in because some have chosen not to be in here. And, and what's going on here? You're supposed to look in the book of life. You're supposed to monitor this. You're supposed to watch this. And Jesus, and Jesus says, Peter, what's going on? And Peter says, uh, uh, Jesus, I am. I keep closing the gate to him. But your mother keeps opening up the window and letting him in the window. <laughs> and I think that's awesome because that's what Mary can do for us. She can get us in the door. Now, only, only the door to heaven is opened by God or the window, but Mary can help get you through it. All right. Now, once we get in, there are degrees of heaven. Various ancient sources, even the Bible, or Dante, Dante's Inferno, have multiple heavens. All right. In particular, St. Paul at one point speaks of them being taken to the third heaven. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 2. Many other sources of ancient origin talk about more heavens, up to 10 heavens. You've heard the expression, I'm in seventh heaven. What is that? That's supremely happiness. All right, like the highest heaven. Now, what does all that mean? All right. The church teaches, as we said before, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago, that heaven is not egalitarian. More accurately, the church teaches that heaven is experienced differently by different people based on what they did in this life and how much they were open to receive God's love. You have a hardened heart, you're not open to receive his love. So these multi-layered heavens mean that not all saints and angels are equal. We like to think of all saints as equal. They're not. Some saints, like St. Joseph, who we celebrate today, are the heavy hitters. He's not equal to some obscure third century saint that we might read about. He is greater. And that's how it should be. Not all angels and saints are equal, and not all people receive the same reward. This is why we strive to our fullest. The idea of multiple degrees of heaven also leads to another common question about time and eternity. I mentioned this a second ago. God exists outside of time. Now, if God exists outside of time, but yet he's in heaven, that must mean there's no time in heaven the way we have time. Remember, time was created for us on earth in this universe. God is eternity while all that is created is contingent. So we are subject to time, past, present, and future. God is not. So everything is present to God at one moment, as I said before. That's why our prayers even now can help our loved ones 50 years ago who died at the moment of their judgment because God knew 50 years ago that we'd be making prayers for them tonight. And he will apply those graces for those prayers to somebody who died years ago, no matter how. Suicide, tragedy, natural causes, fascinating. All right, now, I want to finish with just a couple last things. You've heard the term, a new heaven, new heavens, and a new earth. The book of Isaiah says, there will be a time in which God will make new heavens and a new earth. Okay, now we get interesting. Does that mean heaven is somewhere different? Or does that mean it could even be right here where we are now? 
John in Revelation 21.1 states, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. All right. Now that could mean complete annihilation, right? Of the current heavens, meaning the sky and the universe. The third heaven is Paul talking about God's heaven, followed by a new creation. So if the current heavens like the sky and the earth have passed away, it could be annihilated, could be, won't be by flood, but it could be by fire. And it'll be followed by a new creation. It could also mean, the Bible tells us, a renovation or the church tells us, or a reordering or a reshaping of the present heavens and earth. This is fascinating. Catechism 1042 speaks of this as a renewal and transformation of this world. Quote, don't kill me. I'm just being the messenger right now. Catechism 1042, quote, at the end of time, and please hear me when I say catechism, because I know I'm going to get letters saying, Father, why are you saying this? I'm saying it because it's in the catechism. 1042, at the end of time, the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. After the general judgment, the righteousness will reign forever with Christ, glorified in body and soul. This universe itself will be renewed. Many people don't know that. Interesting. Now, how does that tie to when we talk about our next slide, the new Jerusalem? The new Jerusalem is Revelation 21 through 22. Now, the new Jerusalem is the church. Revelation describes the final destiny of the blessed in the new Jerusalem. It includes gates made out of giant pearls. Look at that image. I've given Brother Mark put it back up. Gates made out of giant pearls, streets made out of gold, and foundations made out of precious stones. Y'all remember the Wizard of Oz? There's a little bit of truthfulness there. Father Seraphim used to talk about emerald green is a sign of God. And you know what's interesting? Mark's cousin, when we were at the funeral, said she had a dream. And she knew nothing about this. That Mark was adorned in green. And she saw him. And he was adorned in green. And she didn't know what the meaning of green was. And Father Kaz was there. And he's like, emerald green is is God, the throne of God. And I could be wrong, but wasn't the Wizard of Oz the Emerald City? And was it green? Was it, was it, I, I can't remember if it was green or not, but it was the Emerald City. And we think of Emerald as green. The Emerald City. This is powerful stuff. Now, the city itself is described as a giant cube <laughs> that is 20 excuse me, 12,000 stadia, which equates to 1,400 miles wide and tall. How do I know this? Revelation 21, 16. I get all kinds of comments when I do these talks. Father, who do you think you are? You are nothing but a make-believer. Um, nobody knows what heaven is like. We're going by scripture here. 
I'm not making this up. We're going by scripture. Revelation 21, 16 says that it is 12,000 stadia. That's 1,400 miles wide and tall. The new Jerusalem measures are symbolic, of course, not necessarily physical. And it says the walls protecting the city are only 144 cubits tall. That's about 216 feet. Both of these numbers are symbolic. Why? Because 12,000 comes from the 12 patriarchs, right? And the 12 apostles. While 144, as in cubits, is simply 12 times 12. So it's all about the symbolism of our new Jerusalem. This is coming from the Jews, but it's new. Christ has brought it anew. So this is the church. All right, last two small paragraphs. We're going to be done early today. Like the church, the dwelling of God is with men. Now, I find this very interesting. When John is shown the new Jerusalem, this is Revelation 21, verse 2 and 3. He said, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride or adorned for her husband. Who's the husband? Jesus, the groom. Who's the bride? The church. And he just said the new Jerusalem came down, prepared as a bride. That's the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. Now, why is this important? This indicates that after the general resurrection, our existence will still be embodied and earthly. This means that the church is a foretaste of this. Our church involves the body and the spirit. Earth is not taken up to heaven, but the city of God, heaven, descends down here to earth, and God dwells among men. Again, please don't crucify the messenger. I know I'm going to get letters saying, Father, why are you making this up? This is Revelation 21, verse 2 and 3. My only job is to communicate to you what scripture says, what revelation says, and what the church says. I'm not giving you any of my personal opinion here. Earth is not taken up to heaven. It says the city of God descended to earth and God dwells among men. This is what it said. He still, of course, dwells outside of space and time. We know that in eternity. But now the separation between God and man has been removed. The veil has been lifted. Heaven and earth are truly united. God and man and that, that separation between them has been overcome. So that the community of the blessed fully corresponds to God's will. And we will experience his presence in a new manner. United with our bodies on a new earth. That is what the book of Revelation tells us. Fascinating. So how will we experience God's presence in this essence of heaven? My last section. Let's took a look at our last couple slides. This is heaven. Sometimes via purgatory, right? If we're found worthy, we'll be admitted to heaven. 
This is what the catechism says. Again, I'm reading from the catechism, 1024. This perfect life and love with the most holy trinity, with the blessed Virgin Mary, with the angels and all the blesseds and the saints is called heaven. The ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longings, the state of supreme definitive happiness. So the beatific vision, let's finish with this. What I started with, I will end with. The beatific vision does not mean that we simply perceive God with our eyeballs and lose sight of our fellow human beings. No. Catechism 1029 gives us the answer. Quote, in the glory of heaven, the blessed continue joyfully to fulfill God's will in relation to other men and all creation. That's where some people believe that their pets and animals will be in heaven. Already they reign with Christ. With them they shall reign forever and ever. That is the meaning of heaven. God bless you. My job is to help get you there. My job is to tell you the truth so that you can find the path that leads you. Remember, the path is narrow. The path to eternal life is narrow, rocky, full of thorns, full of suffering. Few follow it. The path to destruction is wide and many are on it. It has all these false incentives and, 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 um, um, and, um, and enjoyments. St. Faustina said she saw the vision of these two paths. And down one, people were suffering and sorrowful. But at the end of it was this beautiful garden with all this glory. And she saw another path wide and many were on it and people were singing and dancing and joyful with all the loves of money, sex and power. But at the end of it, they fell off a cliff. So this is why my job is to help you find that path to heaven, to get you there. And what's your job? Your job is to follow that path and to get yourselves and your loved ones upon it. Father, my neighbors, my loved ones, my family won't listen. Pray for them. Say kind words, do nice things for them. This is all about God's mercy. And so we finish today talking about all of this is because of one thing and one thing only, the divine mercy. In fact, I explain all of that. Let's finish, Brother Mark, with the last two slides. My book, please join us. And getting a copy, you can get a special right now that we're running on the book for any donation. Any donation, I explain what heaven is like. I explain God's divine mercy at thedivinemercy.org slash UDM for understanding divine mercy. Or you can call right now, 24 hours, 800-462-7426. 800 7426 and get a copy of this book that explains God's divine mercy. And you know what? I think even a greater way is to become part of our association. In our association of Marian Helpers, I pray for you, you pray for us, or we pray for you, the Marian Helpers. You receive the graces the, by decree of the Holy See of all our masses, prayers, penances, rosaries, chaplets, 
just like you were a member of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. You can't beat that grace, just like you were a Marian priest or brother. All you have to do is open your heart to it. It's just like heaven. All you have to do is cooperate with that grace. Become a Marian helper. So Brother Mark, if you could put the last slide up, it's very easy, micprayers.org. You can join us. It takes less than 10 seconds to enroll. You just give us a way to pour grace upon you. And it takes less than 10 seconds. There is no cost. There is no obligation of money or to donate. If you can and God puts it on your heart, God bless you. If you can't, that's fine. What we need to do is get you to heaven. How I'm being judged is do I get you, our Marian family, to heaven? First, you got to become a member of that Marian family for me to help get you to heaven. Now, does that mean if you're not a Marian helper that, that none of this applies? Of course not. But it's a gift of God to help you even that much more. And so as a Marian helper, you're part of our family. I feel so connected and I can't wait for the day to meet so many of you that I feel like I know you. Answering your questions, reading your comments, praying for your intentions. And thank you for your prayers for us. Um, my mom, God bless, has got a long road ahead of her, but she's talking. She's lucid. She's no longer unconscious. Praise be to God. I know that comes from our Marian helpers because there were so many of you praying for her. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I can't thank you enough. And all you who prayed for Mark, I just know in my heart that God's mercy coupled with all those prayers are greater than anything we could do on this earth and will be forgiven and, and, and he can enter in to this realm of heaven. That's what being a Marian helper is all about. And when you have prayer intentions, let us know. Call our prayer line. Send us, put it on the comments, on the videos. We will pray with you. We do. I said, I read all those comments. I can't answer everyone. It's physically impossible, but I read everyone. God bless you. And I am so excited to be able to see so many of you being with us. And don't forget, today at 3 o'clock, Join us for the first Saturdays and every first Saturday. So even if you're watching this video tomorrow or the next day or next week, every first Saturday and first Friday, join us 8 p.m. on first Fridays of the month and every three o'clock afternoon on the first Saturday of every month as we will lead you through what Our Lady asks us to do to receive the grace of first Saturdays. Today, we're going to talk about that. Father Bob Vanetti is going to give you a wonderful talk on the Immaculate Conception. And in that, he'll be able to tell you what Mary asked and why Mary said, that, or Lucy said, the triumph of the Immaculate Heart can only come when enough of us are praying the five first Saturdays. God bless all of you. Thank you for joining us. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, I'm Father Chris Aylar, and I'm excited to tell you about the completion of my newest project. It's been a long time in the making. It's called Understanding Divine Mercy, my new book from Marian Press that finally in one place, I feel, gives you the, all the answers of everything you need to know about God's divine mercy. In fact, it answers what is divine mercy? Who is St. Faustina? And what message did God give her for the world? 
How about the Feast of Divine Mercy? And what do you have to do to receive the graces that Jesus promises on this one day of the year? We talk about the meaning of the image and how to pray the novena and how to understand the chaplet and what to do in the hour of mercy and much, much more. Answering questions like, why would a merciful God allow such suffering? So please, we hope that you'll pick up a copy of this book for you and your loved ones, because if you get the understanding of what God's mercy is, you will understand why Jesus said it's mankind's last hope of salvation. So please visit us at shopmercy.org or give us a call at 800-462-7426. Thank you and may Almighty God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.